Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's Thursday afternoon. I just finished one of my lectures, getting ready for tonight. And now I want to do the Parsha. I want to say that this week's uh, Parsha podcast is being sponsored by very good friends of mine, by the Abramson family, or more exactly the Abramson boys, in honor of their parents' birthdays. These are the Yodai of Makoria Askinon, you know. These are uh, some of my best friends. Uh, so, this podcast is being sponsored by uh, Chaim and uh, Maishi and uh, Heshi and uh, Benyamin. Now, their parents, Ephraim and uh, Shifra. Uh, this is weird, but I know his birthday is tomorrow. I remember that from high school. Don't ask me those kind of questions. And Shifra is a, no- a day or two later. And uh, these are... So it's not nice that the boys all got together to sponsor us in honor of their parents. That, first of all, is very nice. And second of all, I go back with this family before I'm born because Ephraim's, just to give you an idea what I'm talking about, because Ephraim's uh, grandparents and his mother were next-door neighbors of my father before the Second World War in Lithuania. So literally going back almost 100 years. That's pretty good where I come from, right? Um, I'm talking about the grandparents, not me, <laughs> okay? And we grew up together, and this is my oldest friends. And I still remember the wedding when they got married. Well, anyway, I won't go into all that nostalgia, but um, this is in honor of their birthday and the wonderful family, children, grandchildren, and so forth that are raising. Uh, this week is uh, Parshas Baloscha, of course, which is uh, strange, fascinating, but, you know, to me anyway, it's all I know is what it hits to me. Uh, strange, fascinating uh, hints and symbols. Because this is a very symbol parsha. For example, at the very beginning it says Baloschas Aneris Amopenim Aneris Yerushibes Aneris. You all know what I'm talking about. At the beginning, we have the command that you know tell Aaron that when you light the candles in the Mishkan, light it in a certain way. Okay, light them in a certain way. Like who cares? You know, obviously I'm wrong. There must be there's something about the and what it says, of course, is Amopenim Aneris Yerushibes. Haneros. This is God telling Aaron that when you light the candles every day, first of all, the whole ceremony of lighting the candles twice a day is a strange one. As the Chazal say, God does not need the light. So, um, let's get straight over here. We're talking about the Mishkan and the base of Megdash. There's a room called the Kodesh Kodashim, which has the Ark, uh, the box with the Ten Commandments and that stuff in it. Okay? That's number one. That's the Kodesh Kodashim. But before, in, in front of that, in order to get to the Kodesh Kodashim, you have to go through something called the Kodesh, which is a room that contains three items of furniture, A, B, and C. One is the Lechem uh, him the showbread, the Chalas over there. Again, it's weird. Who's the Chalas for? You know, God doesn't need the food. Then there's the Spice Altar. You know, it's the golden altar in which you do the Keturahs. Now you can already hear, you know, the Keturahs represents Kali, so whatever. Anyway, again, 
One sounds like you're giving God something to eat. One sounds like you're giving God something to smell. Because it says, So you come into the room. It's strange, right? And you're, and you're putting on spices every day. So it'll smell good. And number three, you're lighting the candle so God can see. So the table so he can eat. The um, altar is so he can smell. And the lamp is that he can see. Obviously, these are not literal, right? And so for some reason, Chazal constraints, God doesn't need the light. So obviously they're symbolic, right? They're symbolic. So, for example, the Ketores, you understand the symbolism of a Klal Yisrael, the good spice and the bad spices. That's one way of understanding the Jewish people. we got a whole group, and you can't expect everybody to smell good. Some of us are going to smell bad, but when it's mixed together in the right way, it'll all come out good. That's one symbol. The 12 breads sound like the 12 tribes. Why it's in the bread? You know, again, they're going to say something. I assume they'll say something like, this is remind you that all bread comes from God. You know, something like that. Parnosa comes from Hashem. I bet you that's what they say. And when it comes to the uh, light, that's the interesting one because uh, I think I said this last year, but I always remember that I thought it up, but then I saw in the Ramah that light represents intelligence or wisdom. And therefore, it's, it's, it's a, every day you light the candle is a divine wisdom, meaning you're paying tribute. You're acknowledging that the source of illumination, not the physical illumination, but the mental illumination, the, the, what makes the human being unique, which is the ability to reason and think, have das, uh, you know, that's divine. Now, that, uh, there's a lot to that. Uh, the original word aura, I think I mentioned last year, means actually uh, knowledge, not light. Because it's the very beginning of the creation book, right? Well, you're only who you are. At that time, there's no sun. There's no spectrum like we have it now. Now, what exactly is the meaning of this can- candlestick, of the menorah? The fancy schmancy candlestick. Uh, look at the Haftorah. The very interesting Haftorah that we see on Hanukkah, also all the rest of it, from the book of Zechariah, Zechariah, in which you have this image I don't think most people get it unless they see a picture. You know, go online and Google Zechariah 4. Uh, now, the most would be Christian stuff, because they're the ones who put these uh, pictures up online. But if you take out the Christian stuff, the, you, you'll see the picture. And it's a menorah. And, uh, you know, this is, in other words, this is a vision that Zechariah, who's a Navi, obviously has, right? And uh, he says, Ma'atoroah, the angel says to the prophet, uh, Zechariah, what do you see? And he says, So I see a golden menorah. This this week's off terror. The gula rosha, and on top of the menorah was a bowl. But she and there aleho. And there are seven, like Nero's monit. She and rosha. And they're connected like certain pipes, you might say, to the bowl. I wish you could see a picture of it. And you would get a, a good idea. But you have seven pipes. So imagine a menorah, and out of each one of the the the, the uh, narrows, the seven narrows, is a pipe, and they all come together above the menorah onto a bowl, okay? And uh, it's all gold, you know. And Ishnaim Zaysim Oleham, and there are two olive trees, Mimina Gula, Bechemi, small one on the right, one on the left of the bowl, and they are giving, and that's the vision. Uh, so you see the the menorah with the bowl being fed by two olive trees, which, by the way, happens to be the official symbol of the state of Israel. If you ever go online, look at it, you know, 
you wonder where all this stuff comes from, you'll see a menorah. Or at least what they think of menorah is based on the Arch of Titus. The Lubavitchers won't agree. And, uh, and, it's two, on, and on both sides of the menorah, the official symbol of Israel, are two olive branches. You know, so you could, it's possible to read it like that because it says something like Shnayim Zesim Aleho. So it really is an olive tree, but it could be an olive branch, whatever. So what does all this mean? You know, no, this is the vision that Zachariah has. What's it, what's it mean? And the answer is very famous. The angel says, Not by my power, not by my strength, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. The Ruach. It's Martin Ruach. What does that mean? It's a nice phrase. We've often using it. The guy also know it. Not by my power, but by my spirit. What does it mean? This leads me to, you know, concentrate on Ruach. This is Parsha's spirit. You understand? Spirit. And the Pashim shot. no, there's no such thing as Pashim shot in this. But what he's saying is, look at the minority, have the beginning of the Parsha, and we're told not the same vision of Zechariah, a different one, which is, Aaron, you and your children after you, when you like this uh, menorah every day, every day, uh, it's a big ceremony, cleaning it out, relighting it and all that. So put the wicks in such a way that they're all facing the middle. So the three on the right side, the three uh, uh, lamps, you know what I mean, the uh, uh, neros on the right side of the middle, they should face towards the middle. Notice, put the wicks to the left. And the three branches on the left side, put the wicks facing the right, and that way they all face towards the middle. And we'll put them no Yerushim and Neros. That's the way you understand it. Uh, so what is it? this it indicates a structure and subordination. Uh, you basically can't have a structure without some kind of hierarchy and some kind of organization, some kind of subordination. I said in the show Zoom the other day that, you know, this can is understood. And everything I just told you is the Ruach. Lo b'chayv lo kim b'ruach. So Menorah represents the, as I understand it, the uh, leading of mankind uh, through the spirit and not through uh, force. Through the spirit and not through force. Uh, there's two ways of getting people to do what you want to do. One is you can force them, <laughs> right? The other one is you have persuade them through Ruach. Now what's interesting is that the history of the Jewish people is one in which we've been destined, I've said this many times, looking back over 3,000 years, to be a people who we lead or make an impact through the Ruach, and not through the Chayon Likach. If God wanted us to be a big people, he would have made us like the Chinese, or I don't know, you know, the India, to be tens of millions of Jews. It's only 12 million Jews in the whole world. And it's always been a very small number. We've never been, in our destiny, numerous. I've said this a lot of times. That's why the thoughtful commentators say that when God chose Avram, Abinu, the stars in the sky, it's not to be understood there'll be many, but rather that they'll be brilliant, they'll shine just like the stars shine out against the, 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 the background, the dark background, so the Jews will be not quantitatively superior or anything, or outstanding, but qualitatively so. The modern terminology for this is Nobel Prize winners. You know, how many people are saying now, I bet you a Jew will find the corona vaccine. It doesn't mean it'll happen, but you know, let's put it this way. A lot of Jewish brains are putting in trying to find the corona vaccine. It wouldn't surprise anybody to be another Dr. Salk, Dr. Sabin.
By the way, they won't get rid of the anti-Semitism, but you say, oh, see, the Jews did it. Because we're disproportionately represented in the Nobel Prizes and these other types of things. Uh, so what does that mean? And, and by the way, I'm just using that as a catchphrase. The Jews have been, for better or worse, I repeat, for better or worse, a thought leaders, influential in the media, in a philosophy, in, especially in, in challenging existing ways of thinking, coming up with new ways of thinking. She's been very prominent in this. The whole modern world, Western civilization, if you want to get down to it, has been profoundly affected by the Jews. Uh, once the Jews were liberated and got civil rights and were able, for right or wrong, or better or worse, to participate in the uh, Western civilization, they become seminally, uh, seminal influence in that civilization. Now, from the Frumi perspective, that's not good, right? From the yeshivish perspective, we say better that that didn't happen. The Jews did not give their best efforts to the Goyim, and rather did it for Torah. Right? That's a classic Jewish uh, position. Let's put, the way you usually put it is like this. If only Trotsky would have been from, then he wouldn't have wasted all the stuff in building up the Russian army, but he would have written another Arsameach, you know, something like that, right? You know, another Chaim uh, Brisker. The guy was amazing. But unfortunately, because he got caught up, like all those Jews did in Western civilization, so he poured all of his efforts, which were prodigious, into Russia. So what did Jewish people get out of it? Bupkis. As the Pusik says, Samuni no Akromim, Karmishilinatarti. They put me in charge of watching the vineyards, but I watched everybody else's vineyard. But I didn't watch my own vineyard. That's the, the motto of the Jew in the modern period. We help everybody else, we participate in everybody else's culture, but we don't uh, take care of our own vineyard. This word I saw ooh, decades ago in uh, the Nitziv Haggadah. Right? Uh, in some little sermon, well, long ago I saw this, in like a little sermon that he did on chair sharing. Because that's where it says, And in Siv, I can understand from a historical perspective, lived in the 1800s in Russia when all these Jews were abandoning the Jewish culture and religion, the best minds of Russian Jewry, and were going in for Russian junk. Uh, now, they, of course, they all got disappointed. Russia just persecuted them all the rest of it. Uh, or else you completely surrender your Jewish identity and just become uh, Russian, that they're okay with, but you can't have anything as Jewish. So this whole notion of uh, what I just described is, you know, what they call Gauls HaShchina. Seriously. The meaning of Gauls is, you know, that the Jews give their best stuff for the Goyim. Uh, it means a little more than that, but that, for our present purposes, that, 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 that's uh, how it can be understood. But my point is that the Jews have excelled not in the Chayel and Koch, but in the Ruach. We haven't excelled in Chayel and Koch, not because we're so wonderful, because God Almighty arranged matters that the Jews should be small and weak, relatively speaking. Right? From a physical perspective, Jews have never been many. And they've been in Gaulus for a long time. And even when they weren't in Gaulus, they weren't many. Um, and when the Jews thought that they could, they could do it through Chayel and Koch, they got busted. Right? They got wiped out. Literally wiped out by the Romans, by this, that, and the other. So, um, it's a ruach. But if that's the case, then Aaron is being told like this, arrange your ruach correctly. Make sure everything's headed towards the central candle, which represents the Shekhinah. Which is literally what I just was talking about. Which means, like this, and then Steve just said like this, you're going to have different branches, meaning different branches of wisdom, chachma, uh, scientific ability, whatever you want to call it. Uh, 
But El Mupni Amnuri, you should be Saneros. But the Jewish people should try to use their talents for the claw for the Jewish people. El Mupni Amnuri, for the Shina, in other words, for, for, for Klaw Yisrael. That's a very interesting symbol. Okay? So, if you have scientific talents, pursue it. If you have mathematical talents, go for it. If you have history talents, poetry talents, artistic talents, go for it. That's this branch of the manure. That's that branch of the manure. There are six branches of the manure, so to speak. Seven altogether, you know. And many commentators and writers, I think I told you once in the past, Jonas and Apsius has a fascinating oh, sermon on this in the Yaris Tavash, where he says the Torah requires, it's like Torm Derkert Shtickle, where he said the Torah requires you to have uh, the scientific knowledge. For example, the Torah requires you to know astronomy. Otherwise, how are you going to run the calendar? The Torah requires you to know, um, I don't know, what does he say over there? Uh, geometry and things like that in order to do the Ari Halavim. The Torah requires you, and Egla Rufa, you know, the Torah requires you, I don't know, you know, to know law so you can understand how the Jewish law works. So you have to become a law student. I'm serious. He says this. Uh, and, uh, and various sorts of uh, astronomy, uh, mathematics, knows the Torah itself is, is assuming you'll acquire this knowledge. But you'll acquire the knowledge in order to operate the Torah correctly. Notice, you'll acquire the knowledge for, the, for Jewish reasons, and not require it for other reasons. So it's the reverse of the Gaul Sashrina, right? Which, by the way, is very symbolic, because where is this located? In the Kodesh. So in other words, when you have that, there is not a Gaul Sashrina. See, the, when there's a base of Migdash, or when there's a Mishkan, and you have a Kodesh and a Kodesh Gadoshim, the Shechina is not Begolus. <laughs> the Shechina is where it's supposed to be. The, the whole point of base of Migdash is this is a place of the Shechina, right? Um, right? So when you have that, you have the symbols that, uh, it's a, a Kabbalistic word, when you have the symbol that the menorah represents the idea that everything's facing towards the middle, and others, the Jews have all the talents, but they're using for Jewish stuff. Uh, part of the Gaulish is precisely that we, our best and brightest and our best talents have been used for other stuff. So you see that, the, that, that it becomes very symbolic, and the Ruach is the thing that uh, uh, is the special quality of the Jew. And it's just funny to me, not funny, but it's just interesting, that you see this reflected in today's partial very interesting ways. For example, we all know that this is the week when Moshe loses it, right? Moshe says, kill me, I can't stand the Jews anymore, I can't take this. Which I totally understand. He went to another board meeting, they complained about the food again, the kibbers ataibas this week, you know, all this stuff. And Moshe had it up to here. And, you know, it's a drip, drip, drip. The same man, as I said the other day in another place, who could stand up to Paro, who could split the Red Sea, who could go up to Shemaim and fight the angels, nothing scared him. When it came to another board meeting, and they said, we want to bring up the subject of the demon and this, he said, I've had it up to here. And he says to God, he says, I can't supply these people. You know, there, there's not enough food out for these people. I can't stand their attitude. And the Mepharshim even say, I remember from years ago, you know, Moshe's not stupid, when he says, Will you ever it's called Gehayom, you know, can can you supply enough meat and fish for these people? What, he didn't know God could do it? Did Hashem say later on Hayat Hashem Tixar? 
but rather the thoughtful Mepharshim say Moshe was saying like this: it's attitude. You know, saying if they complain that there's no steak, once you bring steak, they're going to complain about something else. It's attitude. You know, now, let me tell you: if you're in the rabbi business or the Jewish public business, communal business, it's true. You know, there's such thing called butchers, and that's what they're going to do if they if they if if babokar yomar meeting erev bereviyotu meeting bokar, they'll find something to complain about because it's a teva. You understand? So Moshe couldn't stand it. And he says to uh, Hashem, kill me. I can't, you know, if, if you force me into this job, then shoot me now. <laughs> right? Shoot me now. In fact, please kill me. Hargeni no harog. Look at that phrase. He doesn't say hargeni. He said, hargeni no harog. Shoot me now. Uh, like I said the other day, you know, it's a famous joke they always tell about, how does it go exactly? Three guys are kidnapped by Arabs, and they say, we're going to kill you now. Everybody gets one last one last uh, 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 request. And one's a rabbi, one's a shul president. No, one's a rabbi, one's a chazan, and one's a shul president. That's how it goes, yeah. It's a rabbi, chazan, shul president. That's a famous story. And, you know, they say, everybody, you get one last request, and then we kill you. And the rabbi says, I've been preparing, you know, the Shabbos Agodal speech of all time, six-hour talk. Let me give the Shabbos Agodal speech before, before I go. All right. And the chazan says, I've been preparing Kol Nidre, like you've never seen before. It's going to take two hours, and I want to do that before I go. Okay. And they told the shul president one way, he says, shoot me now. <laughs> right? I don't have to wait through all this. So Moshe said, Hargini no harug. He can't stand it. And what does God answer him? It's always been very interesting to me over years. Hashem doesn't say like this, shut up and go back in your line. You, you know, I give the orders, you don't give the orders. You're a deserter if you leave. I told you to stay here, and I'm not interested whether you like it or not. Which is what he says to the prophet Yirmiyahu. Right? Yirmiyahu said, I don't want this job. And Hashem says, tough luck. When you were in your mother's womb, I assigned you this job. You're going to have a lousy life. Get over it. You're going to have a lousy life. And that's your job in life. And I'm, God, I'm, I'm telling you what to do. It's not what he says to Moshe Rabbeinu. When Moshe says, I can't take it anymore, God said, we'll get you help. We'll get you 70 followers, 70 helpers, the Sanhedrin. And what's the wording that he says over here, right? What is the wording? He says, um, take the 70 elders and Zikneh uh, Ha'am which is just interesting. Get the Zikanim and some tough guys. The Eratati and God's I will descend. There's the word Ruach. God said, I'll give them some of your Ruach. So you see, Moshe Rabbeinu ran the Jewish people through a Ruach. Isn't that interesting? Moshe Rabbeinu does not run the Jewish people 40 years through Chayil and Koach. They could have had people like that. Later in Jewish history, you had kings. They ran the country through Chayil and Koach. If you rebelled, you were a murder Malchus, and they killed you if they could. You understand? So it was a, it was a dictatorship. I'm not saying it's good, it's bad. But it happened in Jewish history for hundreds of years. You had these kings. And when you had a king, you had to listen or else. Now, Moshe Rabbeinu was the type of person, from a whole bunch of reasons, that he could have run the show like that. First of all, he himself was strong. Second of all, he was a former general in the Egyptian army. He could organize a, a, a head force. Anybody mess with him and take him out. And Moshe never did that. Right? Moshe never did that. It's interesting. Even when he has Korach problems in a couple weeks, he doesn't, he, he, Moshe didn't say, I guess, okay, let's have it out, you and me. I'll knock you out, you son of a gun. I'll bust you. All 250 of you, come and take me. I'll take you all on. Moshe could have beat him. Doesn't do that. He says... The ground should swallow up. No, it's Hashem doing it, not me. It's interesting. 
He ran everything through Ruach, okay? Uh, Moshe could have solved a lot of problems by just shooting and killing a couple of the butchers. That would solve the job. That's not who he was. That's, that's this special quality of Moshe Rabbeinu. Uh, he ran under Ruach, and not the Chayon and the Koach. So Moshe Rabbeinu completely understands the symbolism of the menorah. And uh, he's trying to tell Aaron, what, I mean, Hashem told uh, tell Aaron, this, this, this is the symbol of it. Now, wait a minute. So when uh, the type of leadership the Jewish people need is a ruach. And when Moshe says, I can't stand this anymore, Hashem says, I'll get you 70 people and they'll have some of your ruach. They won't have all of it, of course, they'll have some of your ruach. I'll take a stickle from what you have and give it on them. And so... It'll be what we, I'll use an English word, which is a moral leadership. You guys get a sense? Give me my moral example. The great leaders of history are the ones who exercise a moral leadership. You don't find that too often. Okay? That's a, that's a sign of what we call, those who study, you know, history, politics, as a greatness. One who's able to, to lead by moral example. Uh, it's really, it's, it's, it's rare. You understand? Uh, usually it's based on Chayel and Koach. Uh, the truth of the matter is, one of the big problems we have in America today is rise. This president, we don't have presidents with moral authority. Okay, uh, it's not important Trump. It's not important Obama. It's not important Clinton. It's important all of them. You know, they're really moral authority. They're politicians. So I'm not saying they're dictators, but it's more like Chayel and Koach more than 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 Ruach. Much of being the other type of leader, and when he runs the people, it's going to be from the Ruach, which is just just very interesting. Now. What's fascinating is that this expresses itself uh, in the following part of the Parsha, as we all know, when you have the Lashon Aaron, Aaron and Miriam speak against Moshe. Uh, um, uh, By the way, what happens before I? What happens to the to when Moshe gets the? Um, uh, what shall I say? The the uh, complainers about the food, and then God gets seventy helpers, and He gives them some of the ruach. And then it's a question, okay, now that you have 70 helpers, what are you going to do about the complainers and the butchers about the food? And the Pasuk says, It's just interesting to me that, you know, then comes the quail. And as we all know, the quail descends upon the camp, and then all of a sudden everybody has food. Obviously they wanted to, you know, uh, uh, to eat birds. And so a velt of birds came down. And, uh, you know, Vayasu is a slob. They, they had, a, you know, meat coming out of their teeth, as it says. And they had plenty of meat. And then they died. Of course, that's what they call Kivrasa Taiva. They died. The whole thing started with what? Ruach Hashem. There's that word Ruach again. Uh, why does it say it that way? Ruach Hashem. Why does it simply say, Ruach Salvim a, uh, a wind came and, and deposited a bunch of birds over there. Which, by the way, Arya Kaplan, I remember years ago, says that this is actually part of the natural cycle. You know, birds go north, birds go south. You know that. And uh, I was a couple years ago with my girls before they were married in Israel. Was it Lake Hula, you know, up there in the north? Very beautiful. It was in the summer. Uh, I'm sorry, in the winter. And it was very good. Uh, my friend Sammy Finkel took us up there. And, uh, you know, that's where a million birds come. Uh, in that lake, so uh, you know, uh, you know, all the way up north in Israel, it was a very beautiful spot. So similarly, I'm told that uh, the the quail come every year, or they used to anyway, to that spot in the Sinai Desert. So it's kind of ironic, you know. What I mean, in other words, 
basically the people complaining there's nothing to eat. If you just shut up and wait a day or two, you'll see the natural cycle will bring a belt of birds, they'll have all you want to eat. But of course God won't tell them that. Uh, you know. Anyway, but the language is Veruach Nosam Hashem. Why does it talk like that? I'm throwing this out for you to discuss the Shabbos table. Why does it say a, a, a wind came from the Lord? You see, it's not just the word wind. Baruch means like I'm talking about the spirit. You understand? The moral. Baruch means Hashem, which means that God sent out like a spiritual message, and the spiritual message was, here are the birds, they'll kill you. If you indulge all your tithes, which is what happened, because this is Habasar Odena Ben Shinehem, so basically everybody said, great, we have birds over here, and now we're going to eat, uh, everybody said, I guess, uh, four steaks, you know, it's like a New York Hasana, four steaks. Uh, as a matter of fact, I've been at a few weddings, I don't want to say any names, <laughs> this is long ago, in which, listen to this, it was this guy, the, 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 here the guy insisted on the top of the line, they served you at the meal, here it is, it was a steak, it was a duck, it was a third item, and it wasn't you get to pick which one of the three you want, they put all three on the table. <laughs> Right? Every person got a duck and a, and a steak and a something else. I forget what the other one was. Uh, my goodness. So that's what happened to the Jews over here. And then all of a sudden they were struck with death. Right? Uh, something like that. That God, uh, you know, uh, killed them all. So you see that, uh, you know, the Ruach is, 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 was the thing that generated this. So basically, God is giving a, a ruach lesson, a moral lesson. Uh, it can't be this taiva business. Uh, because the taivas will, if, 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 if you are governed as a society by chasing the taivas, then, you know, basically, you're a slave to addiction. Uh, that's what that means. You're a slave to addiction. Because, uh, you know, you're going crazy if you can't have the, 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 the birds. You know, you can't have the meat. And tomorrow you'll be crazy because you can't have this. And the next day you'll go nuts if you can't have that. And next thing you know, you're just a slave to whatever the tithes are. By the way, that is modern culture, modern Western civilization. That's the internet. I mean, I don't want to sound like a rabbi, but that's the internet. You know, they, it's a kivra satayva. You know, the modern capitalistic society is based on the perpetual stimulation of the consumerist instinct. And so they're always throwing things at you. Naturally, because they want to make a buck. I get it, but I mean, they're always throwing things at you. And you find you go through life with advertisements constantly thrown at you to, 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 to get you to develop a taiva for something you never even heard about a day before. You know, you look online or you read in a paper, or if you want, you can look in the Ami and the Mishpacha and say, wow, I didn't even know this was out. And now that I've seen it, I can't live without it. Really? You never even heard about it a minute ago. You could live without it. This is the Kivris taiva. The, the modern Western civilization is the one I always say, that, uh, you know, you have to go through life saying, no, thank you, no, thank you, no, thank you. But you get tired of that after a while. Nobody makes you buy anything. But they throw so many things after you. After a while, you get tired of saying no. And you say yes. Once you say yes, you get hooked. You understand? You know, got to have this car. Got to have this thing. Got to have that. Can't drive without this. Can't eat without that. And then and then, you're, then you're, your goose is cooked. Now, this whole idea of the Ruach and the Moshe thing and the style of his leadership... Is really brought up so interestingly in the last parsha of the Lashon Har, where Aaron and Miriam, you know, speak against Moshe, which comes right after the Kibbutz of Taiva. It's juxtaposed. It is very interesting the order of the stories. 
And one's coming out of the other, obviously. That's the theme of the Ruach and of the Menorah. Because they both complain about Moshe, as we all know, you know. And uh, what they're complaining about Moshe, of course, is, well, first of all, we don't know exactly what they're complaining about. It doesn't say in the book. It just says, Alisha Kushus Asher Lokach. It doesn't, but that's the list you hear of it, you know. It's not like Moshe goes and explains why he has Isha Kushus. And, uh, you know, she plays no role in this whatsoever. It's a strange narrative, you know. And the next Pusik has nothing to do with the previous Pusik. L- listen closely. But to Daber Miriam Biyarim Bemosha, Al Odus Isha Kushis Asher Lokach, Kisha Kushis Lokach. All right, said he didn't like his wife. Stop. Vayomru, Harach Ach Bemosha Dibrashem, Halo Gambono Dibrashem. What's that got to do with the, with, with the Isha Kushis? You know, it's, it's like a separate item. Right? Now, you could, obviously, you can connect the two, and they say, why did Moshe marry the Isha Kushis? Um, you know, uh, did, did God tell him to do it? Whatever explanation you come up with, in my opinion, in my humble opinion, is not going to be good. I, I think it's almost, it's not exactly a non sequitur, but it sounds like a non sequitur. Right? Clearly, what they were complaining about was that Moshe was conducting himself, however you understand the story, there's all these different chazals, in a way that they didn't approve of, and they felt like he's conducting himself in a way that shows he's superior to them, and they did not feel that that was the case. And of course, God then subsequently shows up and says, guys, he is superior to you. That's the whole meaning of this last portion of the Torah, right? Guys, he is superior to you. You know, umareh below bechidos, and madua tadadabir, mavdi Moshe, whatever it says over there. So they complained that Moshe acted as if he was superior, and they didn't feel that's the case. Hello, Gambonadibir. Okay? Which is interesting. Now, this has just always been fascinating to me. I'll tell you why. It said Moshe was the humblest man that ever lived. He didn't respond. Right? He didn't reply. What, what does that mean, he didn't reply? Boy, did he have a good comeback. <laughs> right? Let me put it this way. I'm not a particularly nice guy. So if my brother was our own, and he said, you know, I don't like the way you're conducting yourself. You're not better than we are. I would respond to Aaron, yeah, you shut up. Who made the golden calf? If I were you, I wouldn't talk. <laughs> right? You think you can run the show? We see, the, I was away for five minutes on Mount Sinai, and who, who constructed and built the whole golden calf? You didn't operate, you didn't handle that situation too well. If I were you, I'd be hanging my head in shame instead of going and criticizing me. What a comeback. But Moshe would never say that. He would never say that. Each Moshe, it's not, it's not who Moshe was. You get it? It's a very interesting uh, dynamic because, you know, maybe Aaron didn't... I, I don't get it myself because if I were Aaron, I would be very conscious of what my past was and I wouldn't bring up these kinds of things, you know? Uh, if I were Aaron, I would say, I'm walking around with a black mark on my record. And if Moshe is acting with superior, he is superior. He didn't do what I did. But you don't see a, a, a trace of that. Right? You don't see a trace of that. And what happens, of course, is that Miriam gets hit with the leprosy. Aaron does not get hit with the leprosy. Now, in the Chazal, there's a debate. Some say he did. They just don't talk about it. Uh, but the Pashup shot is Aaron doesn't get hit with the leprosy, which is just, just very interesting, you know? And um, there's a speculative why. And I... Let me put it this way. I would say, this is just my opinion. I could be totally wrong. This, when I read the Parsha, this is what it seems to me. 
I would say like this. What I just told you about the Eglazov probably kicked him down right away. When I said, why are you superior? Why am I not superior? Whoops. <laughs> Whoops. I think I said the wrong thing. You know? See, Miriam didn't have that feeling because Miriam was not the one who made the golden calf. As a matter of fact, Miriam's husband was killed defending against the golden calf, Hor. But Aaron made the Eglazov. Whatever explanations and justification you want to come up with, but Lemay said it was a bad mark on his record. And so I could just, again, this is just my guess. You know, Aaron would say like this, Harak ach b'moshe dibar Hashem, halogam bonu dibar. Whoops. <laughs> you know, then Aaron would say, I guess, I think I, I went too far. And he probably got embarrassed himself. And once you can embarrass yourself, you don't need leprosy. You know, so you, know, you re- realize your own problem. It's also true, if I wanted to come from a different angle, you could say, I guess, Aaron already lost two kids. He knows he, he, he had suffered enough. Uh, or you can say, no, he got the leprosy, whatever the case is. But Miriam, we know, ends up with the, with the Tsaras. Uh, I like to, you know, the Lumbish Mepharshim. <laughs> the Lumbish Mepharshim all say like this. How do you know Miriam got Tsaras? After all, uh, you don't have Tsaras unless the Kohen pronounces it. And I think it's Sam Sri Hirsch or somebody said, Well, Aaron was right there, so he, he could say you have Saras. <laughs> but I'm not looking from such a technical perspective. You see that Miriam gets a Saras, and therefore she's in disgrace. You get it? Vini Miriam Saras Kashelig, she was really a leprous. And it, it's publicly disgraced. Uh, now what's interesting? What's interesting is but by the time it's over, it just struck me the other day. She's not exactly disgraced. What do I mean? The whole camp waits for her. Right? They don't say, let's move on and leave a few people behind and she'll catch up with us. After all, she brought it on herself. But they say, no, you know, we won't move for seven days. Uh, now, to, 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 honestly speaking, they moved whenever the cloud moved. So... Hashem is, is like, you mean, what's the expression? You you uh, push away with one hand, you, you pull back with the other. The good chinuch. So on the one hand, God um, disgraced her. Uh, gave her taras. On the other hand, uh, the cloud didn't move. She's chashab. She made a mistake. You know, and she's getting a, a, a rap on the knuckles. But uh, we wait for her. Right, we wait for her. And uh, especially if Miriam was responsible for the water, as they say. You know, we wait for her. And so it turned out, it's just very interesting, uh, aesthetically. It's a wonderful way of punishing. I show you that, you know, you did something terrible, and you're a garnish, you're disgusting. No, you're not. No, you are and you're not. Actually, you're very uh, noble, uh, because we're going to wait for you. Which, by the way, is the case. Miriam was a sedacious, as you know. So you made a mistake. That's all, especially if you go like the Rambam. There's a wonderful Rambam. I'm sure you. I'm sure you know this. At the end of Hilchus Leprosy, where he has those sermonettes, and he says, because um, I believe he's going on the fact that uh, you know the story of Miriam is something you're supposed to mention every day. Is that right? Do you do this after davening and chocolates in the morning, or you don't? After you finish davening, there's something called the Sheish. It's in the sitter, look. And six things you're supposed to remember. And one of them is, 
Zechor al tisha, zechor is asar Hashem al kechel and Miriam by derech v'tzeis from Yisrael. Remember the story of Miriam. So uh, it's just interesting because the pasuk shot is remember what happened to Miriam and learn from that lesson not to say lashon hara. That's the plain way of understanding it. But it's actually a little more uh, uh, what's the right word nuanced and sublime, in my opinion, because you knows remember Miriam uh, because uh, they, they waited for her. <laughs> You know, uh, she she was a good person, and uh, and they re- depended on her uh, for the water, uh, but she you know like I said, well, she messed up. The Rambam, in commenting on this at the end of Hilchus leprosy, says that you know Mary was talking about her own brother. She didn't mean bad, and that's really an interesting uh, psychological uh, uh, observation. And I'll tell you what I mean by that. We all have what we call sibling rivalry, okay? But it, there's there's all kinds. One is when when brothers and sisters don't get along. I've seen that. You've seen that. That's a bummer. I mean, when they really are you know, like Joseph and the brothers. You see it in Baltimore. You see it everywhere. Sometimes, unfortunately, you have bad family situations, and people who are siblings, married or unmarried, like they really don't like each other. Um, and then it's like savage talk. That's one model. Now, I'll tell you a different model. You have sibling, rivalry. I won't call it good nature, but I'll call it good nature. You know, people always like that. You know, always uh, saying these uh, remarks to each other. Uh, but why? I can say it. You're my brother. I can say it. You're my sister. You know? In other words, I know you. You know, we've grown up in the house. And so, I don't like that dress. I don't like that thing. I don't like the way you cook. I think you're sending your kids to the wrong camp. I think you're sending kids to the wrong school. We have this kind of familiarity with each other that we can express ourselves in this way without it meaning anything bad. Right? Do you, do you see it? I see it with my, my, my family, my kids, you know, other people's kids. That's normal. Once in a while, you get a situation where, you know, they're both goody two-shoes and nobody ever says anything bad about the other person. Aren't too many of them. There are, there's that too. You know, there are. There's that too. You know, you have three brothers, three sisters, and they're all... You know, super sadiqim each with each other. That's nice. But in the normal way, it's the middle. Not the, not they hate each other, not they, uh, they never say anything to each other, but it's a good-natured banter, shall we say, something like that. And the Rambam, I don't have it in front of me, but I remember it, and you can look, like I said, at the end of Hilchus Saras, and you'll see that uh, he says, Miriam was speaking in a good way. She, she was the older sister. Remember, she raised Moshe from the, from, from the basket in the Nile River, you know, she had a proprietary uh, feeling towards him, the way an older sister sometimes can be. And therefore, let's say he, she didn't approve of the wife he married. All right, you know, she didn't mean it bad. Let's say she didn't approve of the way that he separated from his wife, if you want to go with that story. You know, with Sipo and all the rest. Okay, she didn't mean it bad. You know, she can't be like, like I say before, I'm your sister, I have the right to, to say an opinion because, you know, and, and, and mind you, I'm going to be clear about this. They didn't say this in public. It was a brother and sister talking about the other one. It wasn't in a, in a bad way. They didn't, they didn't go and gossip this around. You and I would not know the story if it wasn't in the Chumash. Okay? Um, I mean, Moshe Bain had his own issues in terms of how the public perceived him, but not from Miriam and Aaron. Uh, so in spite of the fact there wasn't anything bad in it, she got a big uh, punishment with the leprosy for a week. But the idea that the, uh, that the Anan doesn't move, and Hashem saying like this, I realize you didn't mean it bad. 
You understand? You just shouldn't say it anyway. Get it? It's Lashon Hara. You shouldn't say it anyway. I know you didn't mean it bad. And to, and to illustrate that, we're going to give you the honor of waiting until you're fully recovered. I think that's just like a very, very powerful uh, part of the Parsha. So this was a, a a podcast that was dedicated by a bunch of brothers for the parents, and I think the Parsha tells you a lot about sibling relationships in all kinds of different ways and about the Ruach. With that, I bid you a good Shabbos. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.